Hey everybody, this is Mike Van Meter and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show. And this is your one-stop shop for everything having to do with the Constitution, Americanism, patriotism, and frankly, I think just the best way to live your life. And today, I am excited to have a guest that I've gotten to know, Jonathan E. Mord, who is running for the United States Senate here in the great Commonwealth of Virginia, and he's going to be running against Tim Kane, and we're going to talk uh, a lot about that. So many of you do not know who Tim Kane is. You know why? Because he's the senator that doesn't do anything and he doesn't go anywhere. I frankly, I was uh, just as a reminder. I'll tell you that he ran as Hillary Clinton's running mate uh, years ago when she ran for president, and and a lot of people when he became her running mate were saying, "Who's he? Never heard of the guy." Well, I'll tell you, he's somebody that uh, thankfully doesn't do a whole lot in the United States Senate, and what he does is very destructive to uh, the the nation as far as I'm concerned. And I'm excited about this particular race. Uh, It's not coinciding with my race for the state Senate here later on this year, November of 2023, but, um, but next year. And it's going to be a big, big battle. And here in the Commonwealth, uh, we have a number of candidates that have raise their hands to run, and Jonathan is one of those folks, and we're going to get to know him. And uh, just a little bit about Jonathan. Um, For the past 37 years, he's uh, litigated against the federal bureaucracy, and by goodness, do we need that, and he's won many cases. And um, he is an expert in constitutional theory and history, you know, and he has a degree in political science, and he graduated from the University of Illinois, as a matter of fact, with a BA in political science, as I did. And um, he also, but he went on to DePaul University College of Law, where he got his uh, uh, Juris Doctorate in 85. Then he served as an attorney at the Federal Communications Commission during the Reagan administration, which is always outstanding. And he's been a leading constitutional law and litigation expert. He's also the author of five critically acclaimed books. And uh, he's won more cases, listen to this, more cases against the Food and Drug Administration in federal court than any other attorney in American history. All right? And that is fantastic. Now, I met... Jonathan at a uh, Fairfax County Republican meeting and um, (laughs) I had never seen Jonathan before and he gets up and he gives the speech and it was really I sat there and I thought this is impressive man this really is but as the night went on people came up to me and they were thanking me for the speech that I gave that night well now what was interesting is I didn't give a speech that night and after about the third person uh, that said to me that they enjoyed my speech and that I made some very uh, powerful constitutional points, it dawned on me they were actually talking about Jonathan. They weren't talking about me. And then I went over to Jonathan's booth and I realized that guy actually does kind of look like me. Only Jonathan looks better than me, but but I could see where people made the confusion. So uh, not a bad person to be con- uh, compared to as far as I'm concerned. But with all that, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Well, it was great to be with you, and it's certainly great that you're my doppelganger. Uh, you uh, you did uh, um, really look a lot like me when I saw you. I thought, gee, you know what? Uh, we could have been brothers. Um, but uh, um, I want to say something right off the bat, which is I'm very impressed with you, Mike. And, um, oh, I'm well, thank you. I'm certainly impressed with your agenda, and I want your audience to know, and I'm saying this for the first time, on air here, um, I'm endorsing Mike Van Meter uh, for his race and for the state Senate, and I fully support him in that regard. Uh, so there you go, Mike, and I, I'm happy to uh, reduce that to writing in uh, down the road. Oh, I, I great so greatly appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely do. Absolutely. Thank you so I'm, much for that. 
You bet. And and I, I'd ask all my supporters, if they can, please support Mike in this race. It's a critical race, and he's going to need all the support he can get. But uh, we're going to win the Senate in Virginia. We're going to enable uh, Governor Youngkin to get his legislative agenda through as a result. And um, all all patriotic Americans need to stand up and and fight for Mike, and I appreciate the chance to be with you, Mike. Oh, and I, I really do appreciate that, and I could not have said that better myself. We really, really do. Um, the governor, I was just down in Richmond last week and met with the, the governor. He, they, The folks that are running for office in the state Senate, um, were there was a, a function hosted by the state uh, Republican Senate caucus, and the governor came in and spoke with us, and he really talked about how necessary the state Senate is, because the state Senate has really hamstrung him as far as legislation is concerned in helping the citizens of Virginia. But that's in the state house Now, um, in the United States Senate, which uh, here, in, if you're not familiar with uh, the politics in general or specifically here in Virginia, the senators are not. There's two senators, and but they're not up at the same time. So this year, this is going to be Tim Kaine who's up. So if you would, Jonathan, could you tell us a little bit about, uh, why well, is this going to be a multifaceted question? What caused you to want to run for the, for the Senate? And why are you running for the Senate? And tell us a bit about, why Tim Kaine needs to go and you need to be in. So that's there's kind of a few parts to that. But but I know that uh, you are a man that truly loves the country and you have been fighting, and that's what we need. We need somebody that is a proven fighter in the Senate. And how are you going to do that? Well, you're right. We do need someone who can fight for sure, and I've been doing that for 38 years against the government and some of the most uh, difficult uh, battles that you can possibly imagine with liberal courts and liberal uh, bureaucrats fighting them over and over and over again on behalf of clients to, to vindicate their civil rights, uh, both companies and individuals, and have had the good fortune of beating the government, uh, you know, a number of times. In the case of the FDA, as you note, uh, eight times, and I got the uh, <laughs> the title of FDA Dragon Slayer for that from the trade press. Uh, but in any event, um, we have to have winners. And I've fought against all odds against the government and have won. What we don't need is proven losers. We don't need to, to risk our vote on someone who has run and lost uh, against a candidate that is weaker than um, Tim Kaine. Uh, and we don't need perennial candidates who run and lose. What we really need is a person who is capable of running and winning, and that means a an agenda that's fulsome, and this is why I'm running. I'm running for the... Okay, yeah. Um, we, we need to back winners and people who've uh, actually won against all odds. And and uh, what we don't need to do is back people who are losers. I mean, we've had the experience with them. We know that they have fought and lost. Um, some of these candidates I've endorsed and, and given significant sums of money to in their races only to be disappointed that they really didn't fight like they said they would. I mean, if you're if you characterize yourself as a fighter, uh, one would expect that you would fight, that you'd actually bring it to the enemy. Uh, and a lot of these folks don't. And I'm telling you, if we don't do that, uh, we lose. I mean, Glenn Youngkin won because he brought it to McAuliffe on the issue of parents' rights. And he was unafraid and he was bold. But you have to really understand what you're talking about. 
right? That's the other factor. You have to be, have a depth of knowledge, not just platitudes. And the reason why I'm running is simple. I would never have done this in a million years if it were not so dire a situation our country's in. The problem that we face is, and I believe this based on very thorough knowledge of the regulatory state, I have probably, well, I do have the most federal experience of any candidate running, including Tim Kaine. And so I have an intimate knowledge of the federal government and of where the power lies, which is in the regulatory state, the administrative state, what Trump called the deep state. Three quarters of all federal law is not the product of those we elect. It's the product of the unelected heads of the bureaucratic agencies. And that's a gross uh, destruction of our constitutional republic. We really don't have a constitutional republic anymore as the founders created it. We have instead a bureaucratic oligarchy. And uh, that's just killing us now because it's, it's run by socialists. So what we need to do, if we're going to save our country, and I believe we'll lose it in the next two to three years unless we do this, is fun fundamentally change the direction of the nation to restore constitutional limits on power, to restore equal justice under law, to eliminate the two-tiered system of justice that operates in this country, and then to get rid of this whole woke socialist agenda, which is destroying our public schools, which is making... Uh, women's and girls' safe places like bathrooms and sports teams and locker rooms uh, open to those that declare themselves you know, a female when they're biological males, which is an utter disaster, and there's a DOE rule, Department of Education rule, about to do that. And then we also need to save our kids from this woke critical race theory agenda. We need to eliminate the destruction of our economy and the fossil fuel backbone of our economy and also of the um, the whole um, infrastructure of our nation because of, look, look what's happening. We have an open border situation where we have uh, literally 17 million illegal immigrants in this country, and that, that number is likely to double uh, before Biden gets out. That'd be, that'd be 10% of our population would be comprised of people who are here illegally. And uh, the whole nature of immigration policy is being set by uh, those who, um, you know, criminal cartels that are terrorist organizations. And they're bringing, bringing into this country fentanyl and sex trafficking, drug trafficking, MS-13, 18th Street gangs. Uh, the, the criminality that we're allowing our country to be subjected to is massive. So it goes on and on and on, but it all stems from this. The Constitution is being cut to shreds. The Constitution is not being followed. The rule of law prescribed by the Constitution is not being followed. So it helps tremendously to have a constitutional expert who is, has a deep understanding of history and the ideological origins and meaning and purpose of the Constitution to be in that position of, U, of U.S. Senator. And then, of course, you know, we have to have a winner. We can't count on those who've run and lost before. We need someone new who can win. We need someone who can articulate clearly an agenda that is one for victory. Victory for the people of Virginia, victory for the American people against this whole monstrous socialist and woke movement. And I think that I'm that person. That's why I'm running. I think that one of the problems that we have in Virginia, 
in, in, in fact, nationwide. But again, you and I are talking about Virginia, and we're running in Virginia. Something that I've noticed, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that we Republicans are just not showing up, and we're just not as motivated as the Democrats are. And I am seeing that here. We just had a, a, a um, an election a few weeks ago, as you recall. We had a primary, and only about 7% of the electorate showed up to this race. And that's really hurting Republicans, I think, because the message that you and I have for the Commonwealth of Virginia is, is far superior to what the Democrats have because everything they do is anti-American. It, it does nothing. I actually cannot think of one issue that the Democrats face or that we face where they are on the right side of that issue. Everything is designed to damage and weaken the United States and the Commonwealth of Virginia. And if we had uh, people show up, because it seems like there's this real defeatist attitude in the Republican Party, particularly in Virginia, specifically Northern Virginia, where I'm at, and, and that just prevents people from showing up. That's my view on this. And that may help to explain why some of the candidates, because there were multiple candidates that we really had high hopes for in this last congressional race that just didn't pan out. I mean, am I wrong in that or what's, what's your viewpoint on that? You're right on that, but you know, it really gets down to the candidate, the standard bearer, the one who is running. And when that candidate is not doing everything that they can to win, but is actually operating with their hands tied behind their backs, and when that candidate is speaks platitudes, but doesn't have any depth of understanding of the issues, and is not an agile debater, and is not capable of engendering popular support because people are perennially constantly asking the question, what does this person stand for? Why are they running? Well, we have to state our positions very plainly and directly to people, but we also have to make clear that we have the gravitas sufficient to defeat the enemy. I mean, the enemy is in office here. The Democrats are in control. And they're ruining the country, as we all know. And the, and the nature of the, the problem is something the public understands well. Inflation through the roof at the grocery store. Gas prices right through the roof. People on fixed income can barely survive. They're having to choose whether to purchase the drugs they need uh, or food. This is where we're at. And, and not only that, an agenda that the Democrats have that's completely impervious to any uh, screeching that's coming out of the electorate. They don't represent the electorate. They represent Schumer and Biden and this woke agenda, this radical leftist agenda, destruction of all fossil fuels. Are you kidding me? Within 10 years of his election, uh, destruction of all fossil fuels. Well, you know what that means? That means we freeze in the wintertime and we boil in the summertime and we have no power. We have intermittent power at best. We're going to give hundreds of billions of dollars to the communist Chinese for windmills and solar panels that give us intermittent and unreliable energy and cause massive pollution globally. And in exchange for that, we're going to have what? Nothing. We're going to have a destroyed economy and people are going to continue to suffer. So our agenda is one for progress in a real sense and freedom. It's a, it's, it's a saving uh, agenda. 
And we have to be able to convince people of that. We have to show them that the future for America is much brighter than you could possibly imagine if only we do the right things and get out of the way and let free enterprise flourish. I mean, if we, if we cut back on the regulations that are blocking the production of oil and gas and coal, we have over a thousand years of reliable energy and low gas prices and can enable us to provide Europe with oil and gas that's now being purchased from Russia. And what would that do? Rather than spending willy-nilly hundreds of billions of dollars without accountability in the Ukraine, the Biden administration's approach, we'd be able to cut off the source of funding for Russia. They rely on 99% of their revenue coming from the sale of oil and gas by putting liquefied natural gas plants in Europe and giving them American oil and gas. We not only get uh, gas here under $2 a gallon, but we'd also be able to supply all of Europe with oil and natural gas. And that would cut off the money that's going to Russia. And they would have a very difficult time funding the war effort in the Ukraine. This is something that the Biden administration will never do, that Tim Kaine will never do. He's bought into, you know, there, there's two forms of evil. Uh, one form is when you act in an evil way. And another form is when you fail to act in the presence of evil. And Cain is guilty of both offenses. And this is, we need to make clear to the American people and to the people of Virginia that the future of America it can be brighter than ever. We can have a booming economy. We can have opportunity for everyone. We can have upward mobility in the marketplace. And all we need to do is get rid of all the protectionist government actions, the regulatory state. I wrote a bill for Ron Paul. I, uh, Ron Paul's endorsed my candidacy, but I wrote a bill for him many years ago called the Congressional Responsibility and Accountability Act, and I'll reintroduce that in the Senate when I'm in there. And that bill would prevent any regulation from having the force or effect of law unless it was passed into law by Congress, restoring the constitutional separation of powers. You see, over and over again, Amen to and that, that would by the solve way. our problem. Yeah. yeah, and over and over again, the solutions to these problems arise from merely implementing and enforcing the Constitution's restraints on government power and ensuring that that system, which is so brilliant that the Founding Fathers gave us, is honored by observance rather than in the breach. What the Democrats want to do is trash it. They want to get rid of the Constitution. We are suffering. A, the big picture issue is not a specific issue addressed by, uh, you know, your experience in the military. It's addressed by understanding the Constitution, its limits on power, and how to win win the constitutional arguments. All eight of those cases that's a record that I won against the FDA, they were all constitutional challenges. They were unprecedented. They dramatically changed the agency. And inside the Senate, I can use legislation to protect the Constitution and to disarm those elements inside the government that are destroying it. We have to save our country. And that's why my campaign slogan is Save, Amer Save Virginia, Save America, because that's exactly what we intend to do, to save our country and to ensure that our children are safe, to ensure that the market is productive and booming, to ensure that the American people are not overtaxed 
and that they are not victims of overspending, which is the source of the inflation, but to roll back government and to unleash the private sector and to allow us to be free. The constant, you know, the Declaration of Independence made the uh, basic charter for America very clear in the second paragraph. And uh, it's quite clear there that governments are instituted among men to protect the rights of the governed. That is their purpose, to protect the rights of the governed. And yet we have a Biden administration that grossly violated our rights during COVID and shut down businesses. You can't deprive people of their economic and political liberty based on the presence of a virus. There's no clause in the Constitution that allows you to shutter people in their homes like uh, 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 Northam did. He, he banned people in the state of Virginia f from leaving their homes, prohibited them from leaving their homes between the hours of midnight and 5 a.m. Are you kidding me? There's no power on, on earth under the Constitution that allows that. That's a gross violation of the Constitution. So this is what we need. To solve our problems, we need a constitutional expert. We need someone who can defend and uphold the Constitution of the United States against this socialist attack and reverse that attack and defeat it. And we need the people with the courage to run, and we need those people to be articulate, and we need them to be intelligent, we need them to be incisive, and they need to be able to write the legislation, and they need to be able to campaign for it effectively, and they need to be able to win. And what we have, unfortunately, uh, are many people who are running for office, not only who have run and lost before, but who also lack the depth of understanding, the, the facility, the ability to uh, argue and, and do so persuasively. And, and the analytical skill, because, you know, you can defeat a person who's a low-hanging fruit uh, on the Democrat side, but when you're going up against these people who are part of the rich Democrat establishment, and I mean rich as in Soros back, billion, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars dumped into their campaigns, uh, you had better be able to get your message out in a way that ensures that the American people understand you appreciate their issues and you know how to solve them. And rather than just talk about problems, we need candidates who present the solutions. You know, that's one thing that Glenn Youngkin did in the campaign. He told people what he would do. He had a specific agenda and he stuck to it and he explained the necessity of it. And look what happened to Yunkin in the McAuliffe race. He changed the dynamic in Virginia. He made it possible. But then when it came to the red wave that we were supposed to have, we lost. And why did we lose? We lost in Virginia a number of seats in those, in those jurisdictions where you had wooden candidates who would just raise the flag and say, I'm here, and did not articulate clearly a vision and did not commit to specific solutions to problems. And that led to defeat. And as I said, proven losers are not ones that we should place our bets on. Well, this is going to be definitely too important of an erase of a race to gamble. I, I am with you 100%. And one of the things that I really like about what you're saying is applying the, the Constitution and ensuring, because I think a lot of Americans don't really understand the Constitution. And there are many, particularly young Americans, look at our government as almost being a dictatorship, i.e. the president says 
hey, I'm going to uh, forgive all these student loans, so therefore let it be. Northam, you talked about Governor, uh, Governor Northam um, b- shuttering businesses. Uh, y- as you know, the a big area of mine is the addiction world, and we had, ironically, liquor stores open, but AA meetings shut down. Uh, people didn't go uh, to AA meetings, and I. And by the way, I, I'm I'm going to do separate podcasts on what I see in the addiction realm and the number of relapses and deaths and suicides that resulted uh, from that. Uh, churches were shut down, local businesses were shut down, but yet the the big crate stores like Walmart and Costco were kept open. and And I remember at the time sitting to myself, going, "Where in the world does this man have the authority to do this?" And I'll tell you, Jonathan, that one of the things I will do in the state Senate is introduce a bill preventing that from ever happening again and making it uh, absolutely. Uh, essential and mandatory that the governor uh, present any issues that he puts forth uh, as a result of dealing with an emergency like we did at the time with the virus, Um, you know, allowing him or her, whoever we have in office, to deal with that, but having a window where they must consult with the state legislature to keep any policies moving forward, because that was so damaging to the Commonwealth of Virginia. And and again, the president um, now is doing very similar, uh, taking very similar actions, and we can't have that. The legislature has a role in those decisions, and it seems like we threw all of that out the window. All of that out the window, and that has to end. We need constitutionalists to step in and say, no, you do not have the authority to just put out these proclamations and continue um, this in the name of, a, of an emergency. Okay? We, we've taken that too far. That's just my view. How do you look at that? I agree with you 100%. Uh, here's, here's the situation. We have, under the Constitution, there are the vesting clauses, um, and Article 1 has a vesting clause that ensures that only the Congress of the United States can make laws. Well, we violate that every day with the administrative state because they're making law through regulation and it's not being passed by Congress. But in addition, the president himself violates the separation of powers clause and has been found so by the Supreme Court of the United States in relationship to COVID and his whole uh, effort to shut down uh, employment of people and businesses of uh, that hire hire 100 people or more uh, during the COVID period. When he said, "Look, if you don't get vaccinated or if you don't have testing weekly, you can't go to work if you're in a business of 100 people or more," and that uh, whole thing fell apart before the Supreme Court because he violated the separation of powers. It's Congress's power to determine what the law is. But more importantly than this. For the people of Virginia, it's not only this federal issue, and I will introduce legislation that will ban bans, ban these uh, employment bans and these whole uh, uh, keep you at home and not go to church and not have meetings and all that will be out the window. But in addition to that, what we need to do is reimburse those who lost their jobs and who did not, uh, you know, in the military who were forced out and the first responders, police and and uh, uh, doctors, we need to get them back employed. And what I will do is introduce legislation that will require every institution that has received federal funding. That means all police departments, all hospitals, and uh, and 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 the military to reemploy or reenlist 
all of those who either retired involuntarily or were forced out because they wouldn't be vaccinated. That was a violation of their civil rights. That never should have happened. And they should get their jobs back. They should get their pay back and the back pay they would be due as well as the promotions they would have been scheduled for. And that has to happen. And so that's the legislation I'll introduce. On the state level in Virginia, we have a problem. And that is that our uh, circuit courts have held that the governor can act unilaterally on these emergency issues because uh, the unfortunate uh, uh, legislature that we've had, the Democrat majority legislature, uh, passed legislation that enables the governor to to exercise legislative power in deciding whether or not there's an emergency and in doing these things like shutdowns. Well, that's a violation of the separation of powers, a basic constitutional violation in our state. And when you're there, you'll be able to fix that. As you were saying, you'll be able to fix that by by revoking that legislation and by insisting instead that the legislation require the governor to come to the legislature in the first instance to get passage of legislation on any emergency measure before any action is taken. Otherwise, you have dictatorship. Yes. Biden wants to be a dictator. Uh, Northam wanted to be a dictator. Governor Yunkin has refused to exercise that dictatorial power because he believes in the separation of powers and because he understands well, as he's said many times, that the shutdowns were wrong, that the shutdowns in Virginia and denying people their rights and freedom of travel and freedom of worship was absolutely wrong. It violated their civil rights. So he's been a stalwart on that, and we look forward to more of that from this governor. But it'll be your good fortune to, to change the law fundamentally in Virginia so that that power is not available to future governors who might not respect the Constitution and the limits on power as much as Yunkin does. Well, and you're absolutely right, and it just warms my heart to hear you talk about people getting their jobs back, um, being uh, afforded the opportunity to be promoted on the schedules that they were at and having all of their, their bene- pay and benefits restored, uh, doing that at the federal level. And d- just so you know, that is one of the bills that I plan on passing here at the state, the state level. Anyone in the state of Virginia that lost their uh, job, whether it be state employees or uh, National Guard, everybody's included, they should get their jobs back, be offered their jobs back along with pay any pay that they lost because that was wrong. That should never have happened. And uh, we want to make sure that nothing like that happens again. Now, um, Tim Kaine, uh, who is who you're running against, uh, explain to us why he needs to go. Why, why is Tim Kaine no longer the man for that particular position? But you are. Tell us a bit about that. Well, he, he needs to go because he really doesn't represent Virginia. He represents Chuck Schumer and he represents Joe Biden. Uh, this goes all the way back to the, you know, the start of, of uh, his, his whole political career in the Senate. I mean, let's just take a look at, he's never seen a trillion plus spending bill that he hasn't voted for. He's voted for every one of these inflation uh, causing budget bills. He sided with those who support transitioning in the public schools. He says that kids have a right to transition. And that means independent of their parents. He has done nothing, zero, 
to stop transitioning, to stop the movement to have biological males in girls' sports, in girls' locker rooms, in girls' bathrooms, in women's rooms, in women's sports. He stood against the uh, Women and Girls in Sports Act, for example. He ensured its defeat in the Senate recently. He's backed uh, Elizabeth Guzman, who is a, a, a socialist, who introduced the legislation in the House of Delegates that would have made parents felons for trying to dissuade their own children from transitioning. He's way out of touch with Virginians. Virginians don't want this whole transitioning nonsense to persist in the schools. They don't want their kids told that their genders are fluid beginning in preschool all the way through grade school. They don't want their kids encouraged to think that they're another sex. And they certainly don't want the horrific mutilation of children that is occurring uh, with kids being uh, girls being given mastectomies and hysterectomies and uh, puberty blockers and hormones. I mean, talk about horrific, totally ruining their lives, child abuse writ large, and what is he doing about it? Nothing. And the reason is that it's backed by the NEA, the National Education Association, <clears throat> and the far left of his party, which he doesn't want to alienate. He's a person who is has situational ethics, excuse me, <laughs> for example, on the issue of abortion, for example. So when he ran for mayor of Richmond, he said, I'm pro-life because I'm Catholic. <clears throat> then he ran for the United States Senate later, and he, had, and he shifted his position. He said, well, you know, I'm pro-life for myself and my family, but for everybody else, I'm pro-choice. Well, how you reconcile that with your Catholic views is a real winner there. That's a toughie. But then when he goes and runs as vice presidential running mate to Hillary Clinton, he it was unacceptable to the far left of the party and to Hillary that he continued to say that he was pro-life for himself and his family. <clears throat> so he piped down on that, and then he said, I'm pro-choice. And to prove his creds on that, he voted for the Women's Health Protection Act, which is a uh, a, a gross uh, misnomer. The Women's Health Protection Act would allow you to commit abortion all the way up to the point of the birth of the child. So in other words, infanticide. And here he is, a self-proclaimed Catholic, and he fully supported that. All right, so he has these situational ethics. He, he changes on his positions depending on the audience. He tries to follow the direction of the wind. But unfortunately for him, he's now locked into the far left of his party. His voting is perfectly consistent with the far left of his party. So, for example, while he says that he uh, cares about the borders, he's actually voted in favor of every piece of legislation that has enabled the Homeland Security uh, Department to have an open border situation. He said of Alejandro Mayorkas that he's a great uh, director of Homeland Security. And that's, of course, preposterous. That man has left us totally defenseless on the borders. He's the implementer of the open border policy. He's the one who's testified falsely to Congress repeatedly about the nature of the border and, and the extent of the immigration crisis, saying that there is none. And yet, uh, this is the man who Tim Kaine says is, an, is a model 
uh, and as a person he fully supports. So you see, you know, and virtually no one in Virginia believes that we should have open borders. It's a far left position. It's a radical leftist view that Americans, you know, fundamentally disagree with, and they disagree with it for very good reasons. Look, you can't have a United States of America as defined by the Constitution unless there are borders. If you don't have borders, you don't have a United States of America. You don't have a United States of America. You don't have a Constitution anymore. You don't have domestic laws that mean anything because you have people who are not following the domestic laws. They aren't required to to enter the country. When you have people who are unvetted entering the country every single day to the tunes of thousands and thousands of people, you've got people who have loyalty to foreign governments. You have people who don't understand the constitutional laws of the United States. They haven't been required to. You have people who come in here and they have different ways of life, and that's totally fine. But if some of those different ways of life involve criminality in the United States, these people are engaged in criminality to the extent that they're oblivious to it. We have to be fair to them and fair to ourselves. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means we need to, to seal our borders to the extent we can and ensure that people are vetted if they're going to come and live here. And what we ought to do, what I will do, is introduce legislation that will not only finish the border wall construction and, and not only um, ensure that the border is secure by that means, but also this, which is essential, two things. One is to provide block grants to the states that will protect the border, those that are interested in defending their own people, not California, but block grants to those states that will defend their own uh, uh, people to, to enable them to hire more National Guard and state police so that they can police and defend the border. And in addition to that, I will, I will have them uh, do one other thing, which is to say that we will, we will make them... Um, require that anyone seeking asylum not be able to enter the United States and wave their hands, say, I'm seeking asylum, and, and then be given carte blanche to go anywhere they want uh, and be given welfare and all these benefits, but rather we will require them uh, to seek asylum in their countries of origin and in adjacent countries, but not in the United States. And I'll amend the asylum laws to do that. We'll also amend the asylum laws to make it clear that anyone who enters this country seeking asylum We'll never be allowed asylum here. We'll be prohibited from becoming an American citizen and we'll be insured a ticket out. And there's a thing called Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution. It's called the State Self-Defense Clause. And under that provision, which James Madison invoked, um, you, you can, under that provision, you can arrest, detain, and eject anyone who's here illegally. So the states have that independent power. It's actually a war power. And James Madison invoked it in Virginia when he uh, ordered the arrest and, and uh, ejection of smugglers coming into Virginia. And the same thing ought to be done because the states are truly being invaded. And, the, and that provision needs to be invoked by the federal government uh, as part of this block grant initiative that I'm talking about. So there are many ways of saving our uh, state and our country. It just requires intelligence and an understanding of the Constitution. But we can get these things done, and this legislation needs to be introduced immediately. And the other thing is, some of the candidates have said, oh, you know, we need to fix Homeland Security, we need to change the leadership, and that'll do it. No, it won't, because Homeland Security is a total mess. We're gonna have to take it apart. And the reason is you've got layer after layer of uh, dedicated 
leftists who believe in open borders in, in the bureaucracy, not just the political appointees, but even in the civil service, because those are the people that the Biden administration has stacked into this agency. So if I can we personally think attest the whole to that, thing's going to be solved, yeah, I pardon can, me? I, I can personally attest to that. I could go on for hours talking about my experiences in, in the FBI, in the government. It's It really is. It's infiltrated pretty deep. And the solution to that, you know, in the first instance, we can't wait. I mean, this is a crisis, this open border situation. And we can't wait for uh, even more people to die from rape and from murder and from drug addiction and from all of the criminality that stems from having an open border, not least of which is the number of terrorists on the terrorist watch list that have come into this country that we know, over 100. You know, it's ticking time bombs. We can't let that happen. So what are we going to do? We need to, as soon as we get in there, we need to change this immediately. And the way to change it immediately is not to piece by piece reassemble Homeland Security. Yes, that has to be done. But that's why my block grant initiative is the answer, because we need to get the states that are willing to fight for their own people's protection to understand they have the full support of the federal government, including the resources to leapfrog past uh, customs and border protection and protect their own borders and arrest, detain, and eject any illegal entrant. And then we also need to change those asylum laws, as I've said. And if we do that, then we're going to see a huge reduction in those at the border. And we're also going to see a stiff increase in the number of, of forces protecting the border. And this is part, not the complete answer to our problems, because we also have to deal with the cartels that are really just just agents of the communist Chinese in this fentanyl thing. The communist Chinese are manufacturing and selling in large quantities the fentanyl to the cartels to be to be in, uh, brought into the United States. And anybody who's operating on the naive assumption, as is the statement of President Biden, that communist China is a mere competitor of the United States is delusional. They're not a competitor of the United States. They're an enemy of the United States. They want to destroy us by their own words, repeatedly stated. They want to destroy us. And it, the, the whole, you know, the whole Biden administration policy internationally is a mess. And we need to have that fundamentally changed. And what we need to do is defend Americans' interests. The interests of Americans around the world need to be defended. And we also need to ensure that the world understands that we're responsible in the sense that we reliably defend liberty and that we reliably defend uh, the American uh, um, reserve currency, the dollar. Because many countries of the world now think, because of Biden administration policies that are totally self-destructive, not least of which is the insane notion of destroying fossil fuels, which means the death of the American economy, uh, that, that we're on a suicide mission. So what are they doing? They're, they're accepting Chinese pressure to accept the yuan as their currency instead of the dollar. And if that ultimately happens, that the reserve currency shifts to the Chinese dollar instead of our own, we end up with horrific consequences. It'll be very hard for anyone to get a loan at all in the country, and the economy will be in a tailspin. Inflation will take off even more. You know, uh, going back a little bit, because I 
this whole idea of the border, and I get this all the time, and I've done a number of podcasts where I have talked about how Virginia is a border state. And I get on social media, a lot of people are saying, you know, Mike, why are you talking about this? Virginia is not a border state. Uh, this open border policy that we've had actually makes every state a border state in a lot of reasons. And number one, first and foremost, um, when it comes to the gangs and drugs and fentanyl, and and I work in the addiction world right now, and as bad as everyone thinks that they know that uh, fentanyl is, it, it's much worse than people realize. I see it every single day in, in the hospital. It is horrific. And it's it's a national security issue. We're, we're losing an entire generation of people. In fact, more people die every month um, from fentanyl overdoses than we had troops die in the entire Vietnam conflict. And people don't understand that. that. The magnitude of that has not hit them. But, you know, as a retired FBI agent, and I worked in the Joint Terrorism Task Forces both in Texas and I was at the National Joint Terrorism Task Force, and much of our role was to ensure that terrorists were not coming across the border and, and tracking those terrorists and then removing them once we once we track them down. Um, it's really depressing to see now that we basically don't, as a nation, don't care. We don't, and and being a pre nine eleven agent like I was, and I was there for the events of of nine eleven and what happened, and saw what happened, and then um, looked, you know, was part of the steps that were taken to deal with this after nine eleven. It's unimaginable to me that we're treating the border the way that we are, and and I'll tell you, people need to ask themselves, what's the point then in going to an airport, for example, going to Dulles and going through uh, security, going through uh, the border patrol, and and going uh, getting a visa, getting getting a passport. Why do we even bother doing with that? If we're is anybody even let let that sink in? Why do we even bother if we're just going to have open borders? What's the point? But I'm telling you, we are going to pay a dear, dear price for this. We have to get control of our border. Uh, no other country would do what we're doing right now. Uh, certainly not China. <laughs> it's for sure. And then that coupled with uh, this whole idea of fossil fuels, being a former military guy like myself, um, I don't think people are thinking ahead that if we do away with all fossil fuels and go to straight electrical vehicles, and then um, you know you hear these stories about where the DOD is planning on having electrical military vehicles and relying on that, people need to consider that in a combat situation, you don't want want to be limited in that way that has a national security implication to it um we, we can't refuel uh electric uh tanks trucks vehicles ships planes whatever the way that you can with with fossil fuels at a minimum we can't just go exclusively to electrical vehicles which is what the left wants but people are really not thinking down the road at the implications this will have for us uh, do you agree with that Oh, I think you're 100% right. And I, I think that when it comes to uh, the consequences of this forced shift, you know, it's a government-planned economy we're dealing with. They, the climate change economy that they're creating is one that is a government-planned economy, that is a communist economy, because they're working to squeeze out and eliminate your ability to choose a, a, a gas vehicle or a... Uh, gas uh, uh, stove or virtually anything that you are accustomed to living with that relies in any way on gas. Now that's a, that's a falsehood because in the end they can't even have windmills and solar panels operating 
providing even uh, intermittent energy unless it's backed up by fossil fuel generators. But the, the reality is that when you do this, you actually create a distortion in the market that is catastrophic for the American people. And I'm not talking just about the massive increase in the cost of gas at the pump as they work to destroy your right to get a gas vehicle, but also the cost of electric vehicles. So as they uh, require increasingly a replacement of your gas vehicle with an electric vehicle, you're going to be looking not only at the outrageously high cost of those vehicles now, but you watch as the rare earth minerals necessary to build those batteries for those cars are harvested globally with all the pollution associated with that and the slave labor, by the way. You watch what happens to the cost of a battery. So you're going to have the cost of an electric battery as you approach uh, forced uh, removal of all fossil fuel vehicles and compelling people to buy in the market for electric. Those cars are going to cost a fortune. The reason is that the rare earth minerals necessary to produce these batteries become increasingly difficult to harvest. And this is well known by those who are dealing with the economics of it. They realize that the cost of an electric vehicle will be well over $100,000 in a few years and will actually skyrocket much higher than that. So what does that mean? That means not only are you going to freeze in the wintertime and fry in the summertime, but that also means that you're not going to be able to buy a car. You're not going to be able to drive. And this is insanity. And it also means that the United States is lo will lose its position in the world as a world global power because we will become more like a third world country. And you know what's really tragic about that? That's exactly what the far left wants because they're Marxists. They want The only way you can uh, replace our, our nation with a Marxist state is if you destroy the free enterprise economy. That's why when AOC came up with the Green New Deal, her chief of staff was uh, at, an, at an event on climate change in Oregon, held by the governor of that state. And in that meeting, he stated in, in, in a rather uh, a manner that confused those in attendance that they all misunderstood the real purpose of the Green New Deal. It was not about saving the environment in the end, he said. It's about changing the American economy from a, from a capitalist economy to a socialist economy. So they don't have blinders on. They, they understand what they're doing. This is a, a ruse. It's a Trojan horse to deliver communism to the United States. And everybody who's experiencing the high prices, it's not just high gas prices. High gas prices mean even higher food prices. So you have the inflation caused by the massive government spending pushed up even higher as a result of the inflationary effect on gas. And that then also leads to this total destruction of the American economy. So um, we have to awaken to the reality and fight for our future, our children's future. And your point is a good one. A lot of people are not thinking down the road the consequences of these catastrophic and earth-changing actions undertaken unilaterally by the United States. The other, the other thing that is laughable, 
look what they're sacrificing our whole economy on, not on any, any hope of their own that actions by the United States will change one iota global temperatures. John Kerry admitted right at the start of his appointment as, as climate czar that no matter what the United States did, it would not be enough to change to have an effect on climate. So they, they absolutely admit that. And yet they will destroy the American economy anyway. Yeah, because it has nothing to do with it, like like you said. And this is people aren't sitting back and looking at world history and understanding that this is not about this is not about the uh, environment at all. At all. This is about fundamentally changing our government as we know it. And there's a lot of forces at play. And I'm sure we could go on for hours talking about that. But we have to be very, very careful. Ask yourself, any of the policies that we're talking about that the left is introducing, and anything that the Biden administration, has it been for, is it in the best interest of the United States? Or is it in the best interest of our adversaries? And I think we know the answer to that. Um, so with that, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the program. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. You bet. My pleasure, and good luck with your Senate race, and I fully support you, and I'm very grateful for you. You are a very brilliant and able uh, individual who will add tremendously to the brain power necessary to change the state in a good direction. You'll be a great ally for Governor Yunkin in the United States, in the uh, Virginia Senate, as will I be in the United States Senate. We're all fighting for the same thing. We want freedom. We believe in liberty. And we want this whole movement to deprive people of freedom of choice and of the constitutional republic. Uh, uh, we want them to be removed from office and replaced by good constitutionalists Absolutely. like you and me. So. Absolutely. Hey, do me a favor before you go. Let our listeners know how they can get hold of you in your campaign. Uh, they can go to emord4va.com. Uh, that's emord, E-M-O-R-D, 4va.com. Now, is that spelled out or the number four? It's spelled out, F-O-R. Okay. And uh, how about uh, any other any emails that they can reach out to? Are you on Instagram, uh, Facebook? We're on, like that? we're on Facebook. We're on actually all the platforms. If they want to go there, that'd be great. Uh, we encourage you to do so. And all of our, uh, all of our uh, posts daily are on all those platforms. So you can find out what we're doing day by day in the campaign. We've had a tremendous campaign across all of Virginia. We've had five uh, statewide rallies that have been well attended, and we've had dozens and dozens of visits to GOP committees and to breakfast clubs. And so if, if we're going to be in your area, you can track us by following us on those various platforms, particularly emordforva.com. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And you know what? The best of luck to you. I think that you're a brilliant man. You are a phenomenal constitutionalist, and Lord knows that's what we need these days. And I look forward to seeing you soon. And by the way, you guys, if you come out to his event, and I'm at the same event, I want you to see if you can tell us apart. Because <laughs> they say that we look alike. Uh, he's uh, To find the better looking one, that'll be Jonathan. That won't be me. But uh, Oh, that's yeah. not true at all. But, uh, 
Uh, that's that's kind of you to say. Someone needed to be generous in that way for me. <laughs> I appreciate that. Oh, take care. And everybody, you guys take care of yourselves. This is Mike Van Meter on the Mike Van Meter Show. Check us out on social media and check out my campaign as well. And that's Van Meter for Virginia. And that's E-R on the end of uh, Van Meter. And it's spelled out F-O-R. Uh, and then Virginia spelled out. VanMeter4Virginia.com. And guys, we look forward to seeing all of you soon out there on the campaign trail. God bless America. God bless Virginia. Hey, we can do this. We can do this, you guys. You take care of yourselves and see you next time.